When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you don't have a clear curriculum for your classroom, it is so overwhelming to try to put that together yourself. Spending hours on Pinterest and Google, pulling worksheets and pulling pieces of curriculum together to make something that works for your classroom. That's why we created the Autism Helper Curriculum and now offer Curriculum Access. Curriculum Access gets you access to all levels and all subjects of the highly differentiated evidence-based Autism Helper Curriculum. You can have students working on letter identification and working on parts of speech at the same time in our easy-to-use curriculum. We currently have hundreds of teachers using Curriculum Access from all over the world with consistently rave reviews. I want you to join that group of teachers. Now is the time to ask your administrators for curriculum access. We have an email template ready to go so you can ask them to set up a demo. Your administrators can jump on a live call with our team members to see everything that's included in the Autism Helper curriculum access. Next year, let's reduce the overwhelm. Let's start the year out with a path and a plan and resources to meet all the diverse needs of your students. Let's make next year the year of curriculum access. Head over to the show notes to learn more. Hi, I'm Sasha Long, special ed teacher and board certified behavior analyst. Welcome to the Autism Helper Podcast. I'm here to explore different strategies to improve the lives of individuals with autism. Let's talk sensory today. So today I am chatting with Rachel Harrington and Jessica Hill, who are both occupational therapy assistants and both the hosts of the All Things Sensory podcast. And their podcast, you guys, it's literally All Things Sensory. They have so many episodes. We were chatting before we recorded our interview and we have kind of similar amount of episodes in both of our podcasts. So they cover a lot. If you are like, oh my gosh, I need to learn more and I have a specific topic I wanna learn about, definitely head over to their podcast because they probably have an episode about it. So today we are talking about a topic that I was personally really excited to learn more about because I get asked this quite a bit, but I've also had a lot of students and clients that have struggled with this type of behavior. And I'm always looking for more ideas on how to best support these students. So today we're talking about children that are seeking an oral sensory input in some ways. So Rachel and Jessica are going to really define what that means. And then they give a ton of strategies on how to approach this behavior for these oral seeking behaviors that maybe become problematic or are requiring more support in the classroom. And it's going to kind of blow your mind what they start with because the strategies they start with actually have nothing to do with the mouth. So let's go ahead and jump into this conversation. Hi, Jessica and Rachel. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having us. We're so excited. Thank you. (laughs) 
I am so pumped for this conversation. I I say that a lot, but I like really, (laughs) really mean it this time because I was just telling them I had to like focus up what I wanted to talk to you guys about instead of asking all the questions. And I decided focusing on kids that are seeking that oral sensory input would be such a great topic because I get asked this a lot, as I'm sure you guys do, about this topic. And this is not my wheelhouse. So I'm always like, mm. <laughs> like I don't know. So I'm, I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited to, to chat about this. And this is definitely something we have not covered um, on the podcast yet. So kind of going big picture and overview, what, what, is the, what is sensory, oral sensory input? And then what can that look like with our kids? So, I mean, oral sensory input is any type of input that is on or near, around, or in your mouth. So when we eat, we're getting oral sensory input. When we chew gum, even when we talk, we're getting oral sensory input. Yeah, and I think going along with that, what it can look like if a child is seeking input is they're mouthing unedible objects. They're constantly maybe drooling or chewing on their hair or their pencils. And it's almost to the extent where it is impacting their ability to get through just regular daily occupations. And what we like to say too, is that if they're seeking oral input, they're also seeking proprioceptive input because our jaw is one of the strongest joints in our body. And so when we're seeking out that oral input, we're getting a lot of proprioceptive feedback, which is typically calming So these kids who are mouthing constantly throughout the day, they're actually doing it to try to regulate their bodies. Can you explain a little bit what that means, proprioceptive feedback, for those that are new to that phrase? Oh, yes. We love proprioception. (laughs) That's uh, that's actually Rachel's favorite sentence. It is. Yeah, it's, it's similar to if you think about a weighted blanket. It provides that deep pressure input. And generally, people aren't over responsive or they aren't overly sensitive to proprioceptive input, it's generally a very calming type of input. And so when a child is chewing on their pencil or chewing on their hair, they're seeking that input in order to get more of it because their nervous system isn't registering that they're getting enough, just sitting in class and hanging out. So their body and their brain is telling them, I need more of this input in order to register it. So that way they are chewing on their pencils and chewing on their hair or, you know, making weird noises with their mouths and and just trying to get more of that input to to organize their nervous system. Where do you see it kind of crossing that line from, I don't know, a quote unquote, I hate the word like typical, but like obviously everyone Mm -hmm. engages in those types of responses as needed, but where Mm -hmm. does it become a point where we might want to provide some extra support? I would say if it's impacting their ability to do other things or if it's provi- or if it's causing them to be unsafe, you know, so some kiddos will try to mouth or chew non-edible items that may not be safe to put in their mouth and to chew. So it causes a safety concern or if they're in class and they're chewing apart their pencil or they're chewing apart their shirt collar or their shirt sleeves to the point of ruining their clothing then that's where we're going to see that it's impacting their function versus, you know, if I'm sitting here and I'm chewing on some gum versus chewing on my pencil, then that oral seeking is not impacting my ability to get through my day as much. Okay. That makes sense. 
All right, so let's get into it. I also, real real quick, I just want to rule out pica, a diagnosis called pica, where, excuse me, where a child is, or an adult, is eating everything in sight that is not safe to be eating, like clay and dirt and pine cones, and there's oftentimes that underlying uh, nutritional deficit. And so I think making sure that isn't going on is something to rule out as well. Yeah, and that's when they're putting in their mouth and like swallowing and fully ingesting it. Mm -hmm. So that is a good point. Yeah, I was kind of thinking about pica as you were talking a little bit too. And for teachers or parents that they're like, oh my God, you just described my student. In that case, who do you recommend they go to to collaborate with on on figuring out what's going on here? Is that pica or is that more of like an oral sensory need? I think the, the first place to start is chatting with the pediatrician and bringing up you know, both of the terms, sensory processing challenges, oral seeking, and then pica, and chatting with the with the pediatrician about that. And then from there, if we're noticing that it's significantly impacting function, like Jessica mentioned, making sure that we're getting a referral for occupational therapy. So if a teacher is in class, they're like, hey, Johnny is chewing his pencil to the point where he can't focus and can't participate to his best ability maybe chatting with the school occupational therapy assistant or the occupational therapist on staff, whoever is available, and just having that conversation and saying, hey, this is what I'm noticing. Do you have any strategies? Do we need to get a referral? Can we can we get a little bit more help for Johnny? And, you know, both Rachel and I are occupational therapy assistants. So we're like, yeah, go OT. But in this case, even a speech and language pathologist and SLP could be beneficial totally. as well. Okay. Yeah. That's a great suggestion. Cause I know sometimes in those scenarios, you're like, okay, well, I think this might be it, but what do I do next? So it's always yes. good to have that yeah. kind of set of things to do. All right, let's get into the strategies. This is what I'm excited for. So when we have students that are engaging in these types of responses and it is impacting the ability to meet classroom expectations or becoming unsafe, and I'm sure we have like a laundry list of ideas, but where, where do we start? And then what are some strategies we could implement to help these students? We always like to dive into proprioception first because it's that all all regulating, calming sense. So if you can incorporate more heavy work throughout the day, so more pushing or pulling activities, more like not even mouth related, not even mouth related, but full body heavy work activities. We love, you know, chair push ups, animal walks. Uh, what's the one where you push the wall and you, what do you call it? Make, yeah, the, make, room, the, room make the room bigger. Yeah. Does this you like know, blow people's really minds good. when they're like, my child is chewing <laughs> on everything and you're like, have them do push-ups. And they're like, yes. what? <laughs> I know it, it like ultimately it's, it, all it, connected. it's all connected and they're seeking that calming input. So let's give it to them in a whole body sense first. And you can even use weighted objects like a weighted lap pad in class or a weighted compression vest. Uh, but starting with the whole body is where I would go first. Yeah. And then again, going along with what Jessica is saying, not even addressing the challenge in the moment, but incorporating more of a sensory friendly lifestyle of adding more resistive foods into the child's diet, adding more novel textures, adding more flavors, more intensely flavored items like salty or sweet or really sour or spicy foods can be helpful too for these kiddos who are seeking that oral input. So one thing we love is sour spray mm-hmm. and we'll just give a child a squirt of sour spray. There are a couple of different brands out there that we love and 
it just wakes that mouth up and it's like, oh my gosh, this is where it's at. This is where my tongue is, my cheeks. I can feel it now and now I can focus. Yeah, and that's a good point too because sometimes our kiddos are mouthing objects to because they don't register what's in their mouth already. And so if we can help their oral structures better register and understand where their oral structures are, that can also be helpful. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. I'm still like, oh my God, we should just start with things unrelated to the mouth. My mind is still there. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> I know. Should we, should we talk about the mouth now? Like in the moment? <laughs> yes. And that was kind of, I was thinking that as you were saying that. So let's talk through the scenario in the moment, you know, engaging in eating small objects or there's a lot of drool or things in the mouth that aren't supposed to be. What do you do in the moment? And, and then my follow-up question is how do you teach others to do the same? Because I'm sure you've been in those scenarios of like, you know, a maybe well-intentioned, you know, paraprofessional clinician parent being like, stop it. What are you doing? And you're like, yeah, Mm -hmm. I I always love to get down on the child's level and and just bring it to their attention and ask them if they notice that they are mouthing something. Well, we'll use the chewing up of the pencil for an example and get down on their level and say, Hey, what are you noticing? Are you, are you chewing on your pencil? Are you, are you feeling okay? And I just try to like check in with them. And we use a tool often called the zones of regulation. I'm sure most people are familiar with it, uh, who are listening, but then we can check in there and recognize how their body is feeling. Are they nervous? Are they chewing their pencil because they're nervous for a test? If they have the ability to communicate that, um, can we look at a picture and can they point to a picture of someone who's nervous or someone who's anxious or maybe they're mad and they're chewing on their pencil? So I'd say first, the first thing in the moment would be to check in with them, get down on their level and say, see if they can recognize what's going on and uh, check in with their emotions and their body. Yeah. And that's always the first step for so many different challenges that our kiddos face, because if we can teach them how to identify and understand their emotions better, then ultimately we're going to be able to teach them how to use different strategies to become more independent, which is the goal. Mm-hmm. You know, we we don't want to always have to give them the strategies. We want them to be able to identify those strategies themselves. Themselves. Yes. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> And then next, I would say if they're chewing on their pencil, see if you can find a replacement. You know, there's a lot of different items you could get to put on top of the pencil. Arc Therapeutic makes some great pencil toppers that are really resistive that they can chew safely. And so they're still getting that input, but they're not tearing that pencil apart and they can still, you know, get through their day. Absolutely. And I think as well, going along with that offering, strategies and maybe having a toolbox or create a special toolbox for the specific child of things that they can chew, things that the input that they can get safely, whether it's, you know, pictures of these items, they have a picture of a pencil topper, they have a picture of gum, they have a picture of sour spray and they can choose. This is what I need in the moment because my body is telling me that I need to chew on something. And so having the teacher, the paraprofessional, the clinician, whoever it is, helping them make that choice and then obtaining that object safely. 
I love the choices. I mean, in general, I love choices, but especially oh, yeah. for things like this, because, you know, I'm always, whenever I'm learning about new aspects of, you know, ways to give sensory input and things like that, I'm always like, how do I know if they want sour spray? I don't know. Like, mm-hmm. and so, you know, giving those choices and exposure to new activities and items and then giving that control of like, you get to pick yeah. how you want to calm down must like feel so mm-hmm. empowering. You'd think for that child. Absolutely. And like Jessica mentioned, the goal is for these children to identify this on their own. Like for me, I'm my own version of oral seeking and (laughs) I have always grinded my teeth. And when I realized that I was seeking that oral input, that proprioceptive input, I knew that I just need some gum in my mouth. And once I figured that out and that made a difference, I was like, okay, I don't need to grab my teeth. I can have some chewing gum. And so that's the ultimate goal as these, as these children grow up to be able to identify what their sensory system is telling them and then to grab the right tool that they need and, and to regulate their body, however that is. And, you know, I have an eight-year-old son who is absolutely an oral seeker yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it took us a little bit of time, but we finally found, you know, that chewing gum, uh, specifically bubble gum is his go-to and he, it will literally put in like three giant pieces oh, of bubble gosh. gum when he needs to, but it took us a while to teach him that his mouth needed something to chew on. Was it because he was hungry or he just, his mouth needed to move and chew And now he can, we have a little basket where there's like five different types of gum and we are always replenishing it every week because he needs that strategy to help him get through his day. Yes. Okay. Actually gum was on my list to talk about. So this was like a perfect segue. I, similar, similar to your son, I had a student forever ago that, I mean, gum was like wonder, wondrous for him. And it was like the big old school bazooka that like, that like, (laughs) I hated chewing it. Like, you know, it's like, it like hurts to chew it It at first. It hurts your jaw. Yeah. And he sometimes, and he had, uh, you know, he used a, a voice output device to communicate, did not have verbal language skills. And he would sometimes go put the gum in the fridge and then get it out later, which I was like, which blew my mind that he like put that all together. But then I was also like, ow, ow, that must hurt your poor teeth. But he loved it. And it was a little bit of a struggle um, in a school setting where gum Mm -hmm. is like the be all end most horrible thing. You do not bring gum into a public school to Mm -hmm. be like, you all leave me alone. He's going to chew some gum. Mm -hmm. So any advice on overcoming that obstacle on the like, hard, no gum in schools rule and what teachers and even clinicians can do to kind of talk to administrators and explain why this is an okay strategy. Yeah, I know that is such a tricky one. And you do have to approach it as like a team with the whoever is involved at the school to say, look, we want to help this child be successful. Gum right now is the most effective strategy we found. So is there a time of day or a place in the class that he can go to maybe discreetly chew gum without calling attention to himself so that other kids want to chew gum maybe. Yeah, and even looking at 504s and IEPs and making sure that that accommodation is written in there and having rules around it. You know, we can chew the gum at recess. We can chew the gum after lunch or, you know, having having those rules, whatever it works for each unique child. But I think teaching them to understand those sensory preferences and those sensory needs, like 
Look, Johnny's going to pay attention so much better if he's got his frozen bazooka gum. <laughs> let's use a visual timer. Let's use a timer so he knows that when he when it's done, when he's when the timer's gone off, and he has to throw his gum in the trash. And that can be a goal that they work on is you know teaching Johnny chews his gum, and then he goes and throws it in the trash. I was even thinking if he you know this specific child loves that the gum is cold he's getting so much extra input from that cold feeling then maybe he can use chewing items like a chew tube or a chew necklace that is in the freezer and he can pull it out and it's frozen and he can chew on it for a couple of minutes and then put it back in the freezer obviously this is going to be with the help of the teacher mm -hmm. because it's probably going to need to be in the teacher's lounge but maybe having another option that's not gum but that gives that same cold feedback could be helpful too. Yeah. And it's challenging now with COVID and regulations and masks, unfortunately, and it, it makes it more challenging for these kiddos to meet those oral needs. Oftentimes they'll just chew through their masks. Mm -hmm. I've seen masks with um, chewies on the inside of them mm -hmm. oh, interesting. a couple of times. So that could be something to fashion as well. And, you know, maybe it's even more undercover that way. Yeah, that was kind of one of my things to talk about, too, is obviously pre-COVID, there were like some health and hygiene concerns with some of these strategies, whether that's a chew item or, mm -hmm. you know, having gum or just anything in the mouth with drool is obviously going to become a health and hygiene issue. And now that's like multiplied times one million. So what are <laughs> yeah, some right. suggestions with keeping things still sanitary, but also still being able to meet those needs as much as possible? Oh gosh. I know. <laughs> I really uh, like give us really the magic like, wand answer. Come on. <laughs> oh no. I really like the idea of having a mask with like a chew item hidden inside the mask. Like if we could just we need to make mass produce those. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. I'm uh, I'm thinking, you know, oh, gosh, Ziploc bags that the child can take their I, kids just don't do that they don't you know no. consciously think oh i'm gonna take my nasty chewy put it in the ziploc bag <laughs> zip it up like most kids don't have the either cognition or the fine motor ability to even like open the bag and like put chewies or the in impulse the control bag. no way you know so i mean gosh maybe if you can have like sanitizing wipes at the desk available but I then know. there's so many chemicals. I and know. Just, I, it's I tough. Know. Well, uh, I kind of love how we started this conversation on like even all the strategies that are away from the mouth too, which like was a big yes. light bulb moment for me. But, you know, because I've definitely gotten, and even like this was on my list of things to talk about, like chew items. I hate saying chew toys. It sounds like for a dog, but mm -hmm. like chewies yeah. and things like that. And they make a lot of cool ones and very indestructible ones now, which is great. Mm -hmm. But there is, like you said, there's always going to be that hygiene thing. Like no kid's going to put it back mm -hmm. in a bag or like be like, this is dirty. So I'm not going to put it on the table. Like yeah. it's innately going to have saliva kids on it because you're putting yeah. it in your mouth. And, and you can see why people would push back on that being an appropriate strategy in some settings and for some age groups. Like I've seen mm -hmm. with some older kids that maybe not being the most age appropriate option. Can you talk a little mm -hmm. on that? Like your opinion on Chewies and, and when and where maybe it couldn't be the right fit? Well, let's circle back to gum. Another <laughs> yeah, right? gum is so great. Yes, gum. <laughs> 
they don't want the germs all over, then they'll maybe give them some gum. That's true. <laughs> yeah. And I think there might be some kiddos out there who would really benefit from gum, but maybe they don't have the motor planning abilities to successfully and safely chew the gum without swallowing it like a piece of food. So maybe instead you find different types of food that they can have that provide that same proprioceptive feedback, things that are really, really crunchy and chewy, you know, carrots or jerky that they can eat as a snack to give them that same input instead. Oh, I love that. that way it's more appropriate, more like socially, more socially age appropriate. Sure. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. And like having those scheduled snack times with those types of snacks, I could totally see that being functional. And then, yeah, always just incorporating heavy work to the body. We love sensory breaks in the classroom. It's one of the things that we're talking a lot about right now is getting the entire class up to take a quick sensory break several times throughout the day. And the more that we can incorporate that specifically in classrooms, then the more regulated these kids are going to be. And maybe they won't chew on, you know, their pencil as much if they can take these big movement sensory breaks. Mm -hmm. Another strategy that could be helpful depending on the child is doing more like mouth movements. So things like moving air back and forth between your cheeks or pushing your tongue to the roof of your mouth or um, blowing bubbles, you know, things that, or a whistle. Um, Those last two obviously will be uh, a little less undercover, but just moving air back and forth between cheeks or pushing your tongue into different spots of your mouth and your and your cheeks, that can provide a lot of input. But again, no one's necessarily going to see that the child is doing that and they can do it a little more undercover. Oh yeah. Like that's like a sneaky one. You could do that. I mean, now masks, <laughs> yes. we're not really wearing masks as much anymore, but you could do that under a mask and no one would know. Exactly. Sure. Yeah. Kind of switching gears a little bit, I was thinking as we were talking earlier about, you know, what to do in the moment and kind of, you know, I love that suggestion of getting to their level and having that check-in. Can you talk a little bit about scenarios on what what to do in the moment for situations where there is an unsafe behavior? And I was kind of thinking of two scenarios, one of like eating non-edibles, like small items that are not safe and you should not be eating or you could choke. And second, that self-injurious piece that maybe that individual is engaging in like hand biting or things like that and, and what to do in the moment to keep that child safe, but also, you know, provide those alternatives. Yeah. I think for a kiddo who is putting items in their mouth and it's not safe because they might swallow, they might choke or just ingest something that's not edible, you know, removing those items preventatively, knowing that this child might try to eat these smaller items. So just not having them available, but of course, finding that replacement of, oh, you want to put an eraser in your mouth. Let's find something that's similar to the eraser, but that's safe for you to put in your mouth. Mm-hmm. And then for self-interest type behaviors, I would look at the underlying why. Is it sensory related? Are they seeking input? Are they seeking proprioception, tactile oral input, combination of all of them? Are they trying to communicate something to us? Are they telling us they're frustrated? And so they're biting their hand in order to bring that up to us and to let us know, or are they biting their hand to maybe get attention? Is it a behavior? So really starting with the why and figuring out that underlying why, and then I would implement some strategies depending on what we figured out it was. I was even thinking those kids who often bite 
themselves, oftentimes they're expressing that they're in pain somewhere else, you know, somewhere else in their body, they're in pain. And so this is their way of almost trying to redirect that pain through their body. So definitely finding the why. And I think that's true for all kids. You know, the kids who are putting items in their mouth that aren't safe, find out why they're doing it. Absolutely. It's always the first step. Yeah, that's great advice. And it just all gets, of course, trickier and more complicated when there's like a safety concern that's like eminent, like those types of scenarios. Yes. Um, That's great advice. Tips for, we've kind of touched on like talking to, you know, people that are working with that child, other clinicians, teachers, paraprofessionals, but kind of to wrap up, I was thinking about, as we were talking about some of these scenarios, tips for talking with administrators about all of these things, because as you guys know, I mean, there's a lot of great administrators and there's also a lot of great administrators that don't yet know about all of these mm-hmm. things. And it's unfortunately the another job for the clinician or teacher to take on to like educate about, you know, the sensory processing, you know, pro- processing disorder and needs and things like that. So any tips for communicating these strategies and these needs to administrators in schools? I think depending on the relationship you have with the administrators, suggesting courses, suggesting handouts, um, kindly referring them to these resources where they can learn a little bit more if they're open to it. Some are great and open to it and learning and all right, I've got to, I've got to figure this out because there's so many students who can benefit from these resources. But I also know that, you know, we've got some maybe more old school type approaches out there and it's like, nope, this is the way that we're doing school. There's no gum allowed. There's no (laughs) modifications. Uh, So definitely treading lightly and incorporating as a team, like talking about it as a team and then being honest and, and saying, look, these strategies have proven to help a lot of students, not just students who maybe have diagnosis or who have different abilities, but really trying to explain the impact that everyone has a sensory system and everyone can benefit from these strategies. So that's where I would start. Mm -hmm. I I like that. That's a good answer. Yeah. 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 I think, I think handouts are always great, but I like, I think the globalizing it is such a great tool as well. Like this is something we all do. This is something that's a part of all of our bodies. Yeah. If you can catch one of the administrators, like, you know, chewing on their pencils. Or chewing gum. Mention like, hey, why why do you chew gum? Yeah. Oh, People are just going to start like pointing and shouting. Look. (laughs) (laughs) Seeking gross sensory input. You're doing it too. Exactly. We always say put your sensory goggles on. So if we can get everyone to put those goggles on and realize that we all have these needs and we're all meeting them. Some of us you know, work out to get our proprioceptive input. Some of us drink our coffee in order to regulate. Some of us spin in our desk chairs when we're in a meeting or tap our pencils or doodle. I mean, those are all sensory strategies to help have the most adaptive response in different situations. So just calling them out and letting them know, <laughs> hey, I love it. Hey, I, I know why you're doing that. My child too. Oh my gosh. Thank you guys so much. I feel like I could just like pester you guys with questions for hours, but I will wrap it up there. I, you gave so many helpful suggestions and I think, you know, hopefully given, given some light bulb moments on, on the why and some actionable things to do. So thank you both so much. Can you share a little bit about your podcast and where people can go to learn more from you? Yeah, of course. Well, thank you for having us. Uh, so our podcast is all things sensory by Harkla. And we're on all all the podcast pl- platforms. We're everywhere. 
Um, and then we're on social media at All Things Sensory Podcast, as well as at Harkla underscore family. Yeah. And we actually did just launch our classroom course designed for like everything that we talked about today to help everyone realize that we have sensory needs and we can help the entire classroom. So we just launched that course. And that would honestly be a good place to start too for teachers and administrators who are looking to have more inclusive classrooms for their entire classroom. Great. I will link that course and your podcast in the show notes. Well, thank you again so much. It was so great to chat with you. Thank you for having us. We appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Autism Helper podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to hear more, hit subscribe. It would mean a lot to me if you left some feedback. Whether I'm working one-on-one with a student, doing a podcast like this one, or presenting for a PD, my goal is always to provide as much value as I can. So your feedback really helps me make sure I'm doing just that. If you have other topics you'd like me to cover, leave in the feedback or message me on social media. You can follow me at The Autism Helper on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest, or visit my website, theautismhelper.com. Thanks again for listening. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Having the right resources for your classroom is essential to making sure your classroom is running smoothly. At the Autism Helper Shop, we have all of the resources you need to make sure you have the behavior, communication, and curriculum supports for your students. Within our shop, we have adapted books, task cards, resources aligned to the VB map and the ABLES, behavior plan flowcharts, data sheets, curriculum. Everything you need, whether you are an early childhood teacher or a high school teacher, we have all of the resources that will meet those students' needs. So head over to shop.theautismhelper.com to check out all of our resources.